Thank you for listening. This is Israel Rebound, a podcast joining listeners in Nebraska and other places to Israel, exploring the ties that bind us through culture, identity, and current events. I'm Alan Padesh in California, and I'm joined with my co-host and friend, Liz Felstern in Jerusalem. Uh, Liz, how are you today? Hi, Alan. Doing very well today. How are you? I'm doing great. It's beautiful here in California. Uh, the weather is beautiful as usual because it is Southern California. Mm-hmm. It reminds me much of uh, parts of, of Israel. Uh, we haven't spoken in a couple of weeks, um, but there's a lot of information going on in the news um, about the coalition, uh, the current government in Israel, the coalition. Uh, how, how do you feel about talking about that today? Sure. Yeah, it's definitely been, I think, what could easily be referred to as a rough patch, if not a crisis for the for the current coalition. Right. It was looking very rocky for a while there as to how many people were were going to defect. And um, were we going to wind up seeing this coalition fall apart to the to the extent that um, some early polling already started to come out for you know, what results could look like were we to go to elections right now. Um, But luckily, I think it seems that things have sort of, you know, um, gotten back on kilter, have uh, sort of uh, worked themselves out. And the, um, the rocky road seems to be a little bit smoother at present. So hopefully... That means that this coalition can can stay together and uh, and be on a better track. So you and I started our podcast almost a year ago, and one of the things we've been talking about a lot is the unique nature of this coalition. That's really one we call it a fragile coalition because it's just a, a really small majority of these eight different parties that have come into play with each other. They have so far have tried to govern the country, govern Israel, through the lens of these different parties to try to make a difference, knowing that on the other side of the aisle, as they say, there's a co- there's an opposition that only wants this government to fail. And there are some bills that are in place in the Knesset that would benefit the whole country, uh, especially uh, soldiers and educators, but yet the opposition doesn't want to to support the needs of the country, how is that playing out in the in in on the street in Israel? Um, yeah, so that reminds me of you know one of the things that um, that was said this week, um, having to do with the you know the possible having people wanting to to leave the co- coalition, which was happening both from people you know, on the far right of this coalition and people on the far left of this coalition. And I am Prime Minister Bennett said something to the effect of, you know, that he thinks that if we have members of Knesset, both on the left saying that the government's too right wing and on the right saying that the government is too left wing, it's actually a sign that the government's in a good place, that they're finding that middle ground and that they're able to get things done and put aside their ideological divides in order to do what's for the the best of the citizens. And that this is a government of compromise. It's a good government and nobody's nobody's ever going to be 100% satisfied. 
but that's how we know we're working as a team and we're working for the for the greater good and not for for any of us individually. So it's pretty interesting to hear, right? Uh, a politician characterize his own party as saying, when I hear people on both sides of my own coalition telling me I'm doing something wrong, that's how I know I'm doing something right. Uh, but I think that that's kind of the nature of this coalition. It is so diverse, more so than um, not all, but then most of the other coalitions that Israel has had. Um, so that's kind of a unique characteristic. What does it look like on the street? Um, I, you know, I would say that most people, that this particular sort of rough patch or whatever it was, didn't rise to the level of it being sort of on the broad public consciousness, right? The people who are more inclined to be following politics, who are more talking politics or into, you know, wanting to see this coalition fall, maybe in general, they sort of got louder and were excited by this. But I think it didn't quite rise to the level of there being sort of a general sense of people walking around expecting or, or, or being aware even that there was some big change that might be happening. Um, and I think that's because it was relatively short-lived, right? I think we talked about uh, a couple of weeks ago that the government had this very lengthy spring break. Right. And, um, and from the time they came back from their spring break till now, where it seems to have simmered down, right, it's only been those couple of weeks. So it wasn't really long enough for most of the country, I think, to start being aware or, or worrying about what, what did this mean. Right. But the first pieces of legislation that were that were brought forth to the Knesset was to dissolve the government by, you know, the, by the opposition, which was led by Likud and, and former Prime Minister Netanyahu. So they started off on the on the pathway to destroy the the current coalition that failed they tried again and it failed i think they were up to three times to try to dissolve it but it it holds but it holds with a very fragile majority and i think that that just shows the challenge that exists for bennett um, and the opportunity that exists for the opposition to keep putting pressure on certain people and we've seen that over the past couple of months where certain people say i can't I can't be a part of this coalition anymore because my values are being challenged. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, not only is it a challenge for Bennett, but I think there's also, you know, just to remind ourselves the advantage of the fact that Bennett is part of a weirdly constructed two-man team, right? That you have Yair Lapid, who um, would become or will become prime minister after Bennett's turn in office. And I think they have wisely sort of tag teamed where needed to keep people in this coalition. And for example, you know, the sort of last one to come back into the fold now and get them back to 60 is a member of Knesset named Zoabi from the Merits Party. And the person who sat down and talked to her and ironed things out so that she felt like she could stay was not Bennett, but Lapid. And I think it's, you know, just one example of how they're very smart about who should talk to whom and who is the right person in the room. 
And it's an advantage, right, that they have two people in the driver's seat in a certain sense to to have those kind of high-level discussions and to try and keep everybody together and things moving forward. It's a it's a great lesson for most governments to see that there are two people who are not so much in uh, have different uh, values or different ideologies, but they've chosen to move this country, move Israel in a positive way through compromise and through conversation and by helping people solve certain problems. Um, You have the opposition, which is a very strong opposition, continuously putting pressure on them. One of the things that came out also this week is the trial that uh, former Prime Minister Netanyahu is going through, and it seems to be uh, leaning in his favor that some of the uh, charges against him aren't as uh, significant, which raises his own popularity in the country within the people that support him. So I think that's something to pay attention to. Um, I'm, I'm I'm thrilled, though, that we're coming upon June and it's been almost a year that the coalition has survived. Most people, mm-hmm. didn't, most people didn't think it would last, you know, two months. So it has. So we'll continue to talk about it on a lighter on a lighter note. I was reading in the Times of Israel about a project uh, to have a cable car um, launch from the I think it's from the uh, Rishna. Uh, the train station, the first station, mm-hmm. uh, the old train station, to the um, I think is it to Zion Gate across Zion Gate is the plan, right? Which I I found to be very very uh, interesting. I'm not a big fan of cable cars, and I think it's a way to move people through a congested area pretty quickly. But I know it became a controversy. Before I ask you about it, I, I just want to share a personal story. That when I was in Israel in 1987, I think it was for Jerusalem Day, uh, a French uh, high wire artist, Philippe Petit, walked from the cable above, um, in between the Zion Gate, Zion Hotel and the Cinematheque across um, the valley to the uh, Temple Mount area as part of a celebratory thing. And there's always been this cable that's gone from one side of you know, West Jerusalem into the old city that I have found very, very interesting. And I know it was used to shuttle uh, wounded soldiers during uh, whether the, I think it was the War of Independence or the Sixth Day War, I can't remember exactly which one. So there's always been this cable across the, the valley there. And now to think that somebody wants to put in a tourist attraction that's a cable car system, how, how's, how's that? developing? Is it going to happen? Is it a problem? What are your thoughts on that? So, yeah, so this cable car project, I think is super interesting, right? Regardless of how one feels about whether it should or should not go forward, and we'll get into that, but just how it has played out and what it's meant to do and how it came up and who wants it and why and how the decisions are being made is super interesting. So, right, as you said, the idea is that this cable car will run from the first station, the Tachnadishona, which is what is the old train station. Um, there's no train there, right? But there, it has now become sort of a center of restaurants and public art and um, art, artistic sales booths and that kind of a thing. Um, there's a little, a little mini, like, a, what do you call it? Not a carnival, but like a fairground. 
I think there's a Ferris wheel and a, a, merry, a merry-go-round. A merry-go-round. And stuff yeah. for kids. Stuff for kids. Stuff for kids, yes. Um, so it's kind of a fun, you know, place both for locals and for tourists. And it includes a quite sizable for Jerusalem parking lot. Okay, which is what makes it a possible location for concentrating tourists for people to be able to arrive, park, and then take this cable car, which is meant to have a total of four stops, I believe, and wind up going from the, the first station to the Dung Gate, Shalashpot, which is actually the closest gate to the hotel. Right. Many people are more familiar with coming into the old city from the Jaffa Gate from Shaliafo. And then you have a little bit of a walk to the hotel. The, the Dung Gate is even closer. For those that might know, it's also it's where there's the entrance to Il David, the city of David, which is a big tourist attraction. Um, so that that's the location where this cable car is going to wind up. Why is it controversial? So it's controversial because for a few reasons. So first of all, this project was put into a category of expedited, um, super urgent infrastructure projects, which something like this would usually not be put in that category. So the process for the approvals and the number of committees that it had to go through in order to get approvals was, was a shortened process which raised some questions. Um, and secondly, there are people who are very concerned about this having a negative impact on the aesthetic sort of skyline view, right? That it's going to bother the, the eye line, the sight lines, and take what is, you know, obviously I think everybody agrees, a very beautiful sight over this, you know, Ben Pinom Valley, um, and just, you know, ruin it with big pillars and, and, and cables and cars. Um, and that there are environmental aspects of that. And the third big concern is that this is not really going to help traffic or help with tourists. That it's all, this is the argument against it, right? That this is, that it's, that it's a politically motivated um, move because, in fact, it means that people will be going directly from West Jerusalem, you know, Baca area of this first station to the hotel and only to the hotel, meaning they no longer need to walk through the Christian quarters or the Arab quarters, and it will actually pull business and tourism away from those sections of the old city. So, those are all of the arguments against it. Um, the arguments for it, of course, are that it simply, you know, doesn't make sense that the number one site that every tourist of every faith wants to come to in Jerusalem is the hotel, and yet there's no good way to get there without a lengthy walk or terrible traffic. Um, they've also said that, in fact, the cable cars are not massive cable cars. I think in Chicago, there are cable cars that are quite big that a lot of people can fit in each of them. These are these are fairly small. These are only 10 people per car. Um, and so that in fact, 
you know, when you look out over a broad space, you hardly will see them at all because they're they're small as cable cars go. I don't know. Um, and the and then the and the other counter argument is that of course this is going to be good for business. This is going to be good for Jerusalem, right? It's going to allow more tourists to come. Um, and that even somehow maybe um, Arabs who live in East Jerusalem or in Silwan specifically, where the where the Dung Gate is, will be able to use this cable car to get to like do right cable car goes in a circle to be able to sort of reverse direction to go from the Dung Gate into West Jerusalem for jobs or shopping or whatever it is they need to do. But when we know that public transportation is very limited in parts of East Jerusalem and again in Silwan specifically, that perhaps this would help with that. Of course, then people say, no, you know, local Arabs are not going to start riding this cable car to get out of their neighborhood. I have no idea. I don't know what's, you know, how it's really going to play out. But those are sort of all the arguments. Now, with all these arguments laid on the table, what happened? I know I'm talking long, but I think it's pretty interesting. So, you know, there's this expedited committee who's set up and their role is to review all of this information, make the decisions, and they wanted to go forward with the cable car, despite objections from various organizations, environmental, political, and otherwise. And so it came to court. It came to uh, what's considered a high court in Israel. The So the court system in Israel, uh, unlike in the States, where you, I think, always have either one judge or like you're at the Supreme Court, right? And you have non-justices. Um, here, you can have one, three, five, or seven. Take your pick as long as it's an odd number. And the, the number corresponds to how high the court is. So in this case, the case was seen, in this case, the case was seen by uh, three judges. Can I, ask a, can I ask a yeah. quick question? Yeah, yeah. Who, who brought it before the, the justice system? How did it get to the, I mean, what, as a, as a project, is it a government-based project or is it a private, um, private so, business that's doing the cable car? Why would it appear so, before a justice? Yeah, so the cable car is a, um, is a government project. Although one of the accusations against it is that it will very much benefit a private entity, which is this Il David City of David organization, but it's a government um, it's a government project, and the petitions against it are from a number of uh, private organizations, both like private citizens that have band together and signed petitions against the scenic damage that it's going to cause, and environmental organizations. Um, so, so those groups together brought the, so brought was, the petitions. So it was the opposition voice that brought it before a yes. justice. Okay. Yes, there was no reason why it had to come before. Had there not been any opposition to this project, it wouldn't come before a high court of justice. Um, and it um, basically the judge, the court said that I don't know if it's called throwing the case out, but they they rejected the objections, meaning they said that there was no place for judicial intervention in the in the petitions that were being brought. 
that the questions that were the reasons that were being given for why the cable car project should not move forward were issues of landscape and issues, actually some of them of a religious issues. Part of the route goes above um, a graveyard, which means that um, traditionally observant koanim will not ride in this cable car. I am. Um, why why is that so so traditionally koanim are not allowed to come in contact um with uh with a dead body or even enter a graveyard okay and while there is a um a precise distance on the horizontal plane for how far one needs to be away from a grave site Right. So so in Jewish cemeteries, you'll see a, a, a specific delineation for where Koanim can stand. Um, apparently that uh, that doesn't exist in the vertical. So air, air, airspace. Airspace. If you're going up, it's indefinite. <laughs> you cannot be in the same vertical as a graveyard or a dead body, no matter how far up you are. I didn't. So I didn't. It's not like if they would just build the cable car higher, then it would be okay. Um, doesn't apparently doesn't work that way. I didn't know that until I started reading about this cable I car. Didn't. Wow, that's incredible. I didn't know that at all. I am so. But basically, the court said, look, if you're coming to us with religious issues, if you're coming to us with landscape issues, um, this is not for the court to decide. These are all questions that are within the purview of the committee that has already been convened. And it's their job to look at all of these uh, questions and to figure it out and to make the decision. And, and we as a court don't see any reason to step in. We don't, you know, this, this is not for us to decide. which. For now, looks like a vote of yes that the cable car will go forward. Um, they say that it could be built in as few as eighteen months. So I don't know when they're going to start, but maybe a year and a half or a little more than that from now, there will actually be a cable car going from the first station to the Dung Gate. We'll see. Um, but it's just an interesting, like it's an interesting look at how decisions get made of how things work in Jerusalem and and it'll definitely I mean maybe for better maybe for worse it will definitely change right a little bit the traffic and the skyline and the feel I am I hope that what the naysayers are saying that you know all of a sudden looking out at Jerusalem will look like Disneyland is not true I hope that one cable car doesn't really ruin the whole skyscape um but we'll see so uh, another question i'm not sure if it was addressed by the judges but would it operate on shabbat um that i i haven't seen that address but my my guess would be that it is definitely not planned to operate on shabbat that would probably bring up a whole another range of people who would be fighting against it who so far are quiet and don't have, you know, an opinion one way or the other. So my guess is that they're not, uh, that that's not under discussion. But isn't Shabbat the biggest uh, time for people to go to the hotel? Not for tourists necessarily. 
Um, no, tourists, right? I mean, can be any day of the week and people that are going to have, you know, bar mitzvahs at the hotel, Mondays and Thursdays would be the most popular days. Um, you know, Saturday is a busy day, but more so for locals. And I don't think that's who um, they're anticipating will will take this cable car. One other interesting thing, the idea of having the first station as the starting point for getting to the hotel is actually not new. There already exists sort of a park and ride shuttle that in that very same parking lot of the first station, you can park your car and take a free shuttle, a van that comes, I don't know if it's every hour or every two hours, it probably changes, you know, throughout the day to the, to the old city. So that exists, but obviously that van is dealing with traffic and, you know, it can only take a certain number of people that the cable car will hold many more people. I think while, while I said the cars are small and there's only 10 people to a car, I think there's planned to be something like 40, 40 cars that are, you know, working at once in rotation. So that's a lot of people that can very quickly um, get transportation. Well, th- well, thank you for the explanation. I'm, I'm eager to see how this develops. Um, my first thought was it would be easier just to do like a ski lift, you know, mm-hmm. do, have a little bench with a bar that protects you and get three people and you go around and you just jump off. Yeah, I'm not sure, you know, the way things are safety wise in Israel, this cable car may not be all that different than a ski lift. Maybe it, <laughs> it won't really have four walls and a roof. Maybe it is a, a big ski lift. Well, Liz, thank you again for that explanation. Uh, anything else you want to share before we jump off? I think that's it for this week. This, are, this was a, a good session. I will include in the um, explanation links to the stories about the cable car. And also, if I can find a story about uh, the high wire artist who walked yeah, across the area, it would be a good one. Um, thanks for, again for the explanation about the justice system. So, just to conclude that, so three judges, five judges, seven judges tells us how high the issues would be in a... Yeah, case. starting at one. Okay. I am, and also have one judge. And yes, right, if something goes to the Beit Mishpat Elyon, the highest court in Israel, so that's when you have the, the seven judges. Um, and like small claims court, you know, has one judge. We don't have juries. Now that I will leave that aside and can do a whole separate session on that. Um, but the, you know, the court system looks different. So the, whether you have one or three or five or seven judges, you know, makes a bigger difference and they have more to say because they're not also hearing from a, a jury. They are judge and jury. <laughs> Well, good. Well, thank you for that. Um, Maybe I'll provide a link to the judicial system in our notes as well. Well, thank you again, Liz. Looking forward to more of our conversation about the coalition next week and other other interesting topics. Thank you. Thank you all for listening. This has been Israel Rebound.